It is um, it's great to be here today. Um, a few weeks ago, Pete James gave me a call and he said, Steve, is there any chance that you could come and really just try and right some of the wrongs that your brother Pete has inflicted here this last decade? And I thought, gosh, that sounds a tough old task. And um, I was thinking, but then I also remembered that I have been clearing up after my brother Pete for most of my life. So I thought I'd give it a bash. That is obviously a joke. The real reason why I'm speaking today is I was clearly the only one who didn't consult their diary to see that it is Wimbledon men's final tennis and also the final of the Cricket World Cup. And as an avid cricket fan, I'm obviously delighted to be doing all three services today. So... West Point Military Academy is one of the most competitive military academies in all of the world. Every year, thousands and thousands of applicants apply. And to apply, each individual will have to have incredible academic scores. They'll have to have phenomenal uh, physical and athletic achievements. And they'll also need to have a letter of recommendation from a U.S. senator. And these will be the kind of people that will be your head boys, your head girls, your prom queens, your prom kings. And they'll probably be the captain of the lacrosse team or some other preppy sport. But within this, uh, these thousands who apply, there'll be an even more impressive tier. And these are like the uber kinos. And these will be those kind of geniuses that learn Latin by the age of three. Um, they'll probably already have started their own philanthropic organization and be well-connected to a U.S. senator. And what the West Point recruiters began to notice was that every year, these individuals that looked perfect on paper rarely made it through the program. More than that, they found that of these high-caliber individuals, a high percentage often quit after just a week. And given the arduous process just to apply, this came as a real shock. So they did some investigating and they discovered that the cause of this was that the training program was designed to constantly put the individual under pressure. But these high caliber individuals, they were used to thriving. They were used to smashing it. So when the discomfort came, they cracked and they quit. What the recruiters at West Point further began to notice was that there really was nothing that could identify who would get on the program because nothing connected the successful individuals together other than they had the determination to finish. Angela Duckworth in her book Grit explores this and uh, she investigates this concept of perseverance or what she entitles grit. And what she deduces is that these characteristics of uh, continuing uh, when under pressure, of persevering despite disappointment and not losing passion and enthusiasm are the most important characteristics in igniting change. For us as followers and believers of God, when we talk about living a life of faith, these concepts of grit or perseverance are integral. And this morning we're continuing our uprising series and we're going to be talking about perseverance in prayer. And I want to particularly emphasize that perseverance isn't sort of a sort of a stoic reactionary word, but is rather a proactive agent for change. G. 
Jesus in Luke 18 gives us a model for how to be persistent in prayer with the persistent widow. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be reading from Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And in this story, there are two characters, but there are three journeys. The, ju- the, the widow sorry, comes before the judge and she makes her plea. She is rejected, so she goes home. And then at home, she decides to make the return journey and comes to present her plea once again. And I've called these three journeys the journey of adventure, the journey of disappointment, and the journey of courage. So to begin with, the journey of adventure. Now, for most of us, uh, starting something will be relatively easy. There's often an excitement in the beginning. We often hear that phrase, you know, I'll try anything once. Even the unbeliever will be uh, tempted and will probably lift a prayer up into the sky in the midst of great pain or chaos. But I believe that we are constantly encouraged to pray, to present our dreams, our desires before God. And I believe that in time, God will reveal to us which of these prayers we should continue with and which prayers we should let go of. When I read in James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. I see this as an invitation to go on this journey of adventure. And as we take this journey of adventure, the first thing that we need to recognize is that we pray because God is powerful. We don't necessarily start in prayer because we have a particularly significant or important request. And this is quite fortunate because for me, a lot of my prayer life involves some pretty selfish prayers, quite honestly. Um, You know, there are times I pray things that, you know, certainly aren't altruistic and possibly quite shallow. Um, I have very much been known to pray for the England rugby team, pray fervently. Um, I've done it before. I'll definitely be doing it again. But I feel that that is okay because the starting point for prayer is not in the wholeness of the request but in the holiness of God. The starting point for prayer is not in the wholeness of the request, but in the holiness of God. As I've been reading and researching about this uh, topic of perseverance, I've realized that you can very quickly delve down the, uh, the rabbit hole of self-improvement. And so I've gone there. Um, I recently read a number of articles by David Blaine, who was uh, speaking about his persistence in magic, uh, drove him to a level where he pushed his human gifting to a level that was seen as abnormal. And although I love the power of discipline, I love the power of hard work and effort, our starting point in prayer 
is not in whipping ourselves into shape. It starts with God's power. Because if we look at this story that Jesus says, the image that Jesus gives about us people who pray is a widow. And the widow is weak. She is powerless. She is vulnerable. She is without resources. And in this case, she is without tangible hope. We come before God because he is powerful. And this is important because our biggest temptation to not pray or give up in prayer is when we diminish the power of God. At the first signs of heartache or disappointment, God's power will be brought into question. We'll hear those whispers in our minds. God doesn't do miracles today. God doesn't heal. God doesn't care about me. This situation is impossible. And these are outright lies. And we need to hold on to God's might. Because I found that when our hope gets smaller, the size of our God gets smaller too. Uh, The other day I was at the zoo with my two boys and uh, we saw a rhino. And this was the second time I'd ever seen a rhino. The first was on my 16th birthday uh, in South Africa. We're there on a family holiday doing one of those uh, safari days out. And I'm going to be honest with you and say that the prospect of being with all my family in a car, uh, driven by my dad, who was a shaky driver at the best of times, surrounded by wild animals, filled me with dread. So I began to get quite quiet and insular. And so we were driving around, and then suddenly we stumbled upon uh, a wild, huge rhino. And my dad, as head of health and safety for the car, decided that it would be a really good idea to drive within about five meters of the rhino. And I was thinking, gosh, this is a shocking idea. Then all of a sudden, we heard this massive noise from the left, and we stared down, and it was another rhino. And it started charging in our direction. Now, at this point, the quiet and insular thing went out the window. And I let out a genuine squeal. And I'm not talking like a cool, low grunt. You know, I'm talking like a proper squeal. Proper pre-voice break squeal. (laughs) But still, my dad was unmoved. And so we watched as this rhino ran across and smashed horn to horn with the other rhino in front of us. The impact from the collision was massive. The ground shook, dust sprayed onto our car like a wave. And at this point, my dad thought it'd be a good idea to reverse and drive away. And as we sped away, the rest of my family in hysterical laughter and me in a panic, they suddenly realized quite how scared I was. And so they did the only honorable thing that you can do to the youngest child. And that was to make sure that everyone in my presence uh, featured a rhino. I got rhino socks, rhino boxes, Rhino T-shirt, Rhino keyring, the works. But here's the point, is that that day I saw the power of a wild animal and it terrified me. Contrast that to the rhino I saw the other day at the zoo and they're incomparable. Similar sized beasts, yet one was tamed, its power diluted. The other shook the ground. One evoked fear the other stirred pity. And we have to remember that when we come before God, we are dealing with wild, untamed, undiluted power. And we need to remember that 
Although God chooses to draw near to us, he never becomes tamer. God in his intimacy will draw close, but he never surrenders that power. So we take the journey of adventure because God is powerful. So from adventure to disappointment. This is the point where the the widow, she presents her request. She is rejected and she goes home saddened on the journey of disappointment. And this is that point where you've tried, you've given of yourselves and it hasn't worked out as you wanted. And this is a moment of, uh, of great pain. But it provokes an important question in our faith. Are we going to lean further into Christ or are we going to withdraw? And for me, and I'm sure for many of you in the room, this journey will feel a little too familiar and a little bit raw because it involves going through the brutal tunnel of unanswered prayer. And for me, and I know for a number of you here, there have been prayers in my life that I've prayed my socks off for for over 20 years. There might be prayers of dreams, um, prayers of relationships, friendships, and there's been silence. And it's confusing and it is difficult. But the challenge for us is in these moments of darkness is to keep holding on and to keep making decisions based on faith and not fear. Uh, some of you might know that I am a, um, I'm an artist and a, a songwriter and that my career to date has been a little bit up and down. There's been moments of uh, great excitement where I've been right on the edge of, uh, of breakthrough and excitement and then there's been moments where uh, it's all completely unraveled and fallen apart. And so last year I found myself um, at a point where I just thought, I, I, can't, I can't keep doing this. And I had that feeling of like, Gosh, you know, God, if, if this is from you, it simply can't be this difficult. So I decided to lay it down and really surrender it with the idea that God might, um, you know, sort of raise something new. You know, another um, idea or opportunity might come up. So I intentionally didn't really pursue music for about nine months, didn't really um, push it. And in that time, um, nothing happened. There was no great end to the story. There's no new idea. It was just an end. And so towards the end of last year, um, a few people uh, were praying for me and they started praying something which felt in line to something my wife and I were feeling that was that I should, I should jump back in, that I should pick it back up and, uh, and keep going. So feeling that God was speaking, I decided to, to, to start again. So I started writing and recording, connecting with people, and uh, I, I was really enjoying it. And uh, I was, you know, back, back in the game. Uh, and then a few encouraging developments started to happen. And uh, after a while, a big management company uh, got in touch and potentially wanted to sign me. And I was thinking, this is looking great. And as those talks uh, continued for a couple of weeks, one day it all just stopped and it all went cold. The, the opportunity uh, went dead. And so right now I find myself on that road of disappointment and I have uh, worship on one side and I have a bit of rage and disillusionment on the other. And I'm learning to find God in that darkness, 
in that tension. And I quite honestly have no idea where it's going to take me. But the thing that I have come to know is that I know this deep down that God is with me. And more than that, that he loves me. And for you guys here, there'll be many of you who've gone through a similar thing. You're on this road of disappointment. And you need to know how loved you are by your heavenly father. That this silence that you are encountering is not the end. If we look at the persistent widow, the rejection she encounters is not her conclusion. What we discover is that she has the boldness to push through disappointment, to push through darkness, and she makes the return journey. She chooses courage. And as she goes back, not once, not twice, we don't know how many times, but we're guessing it's a lot, right? Unflinching in her passion. She takes rejection, she comes back. She shows courage. She takes rejection. She comes back. She shows courage. And we learn that it is this courage that breaks down the oppressive war against her. And I love how Jesus ends this parable in verse 6, where he says, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you. He will see that they get justice in quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It is the widow's faith that saves her. And let me ask you this. If a poor, weak, defenseless widow can change the heart and mind of an unjust judge, how much more so are heavenly Father. And here's the challenge. Will Jesus find faith in this room? Will Jesus find faith in this room? I believe so. I've got to be honest, I look out right now and I, I see a lot of faith. Will it, you're a man of faith? Jenny, you're a woman of faith? I think it's Susie, you're a woman of faith. There's people here with incredible faith. But are you prepared to be the persistent widow? Because I honestly believe that God is wanting to do extraordinary things in people's lives. And if you look through history, there are so many stories of people who've achieved feats of greatness despite adversity. And the vehicle towards that success is usually always perseverance. I want to tell you the story of... um, one of my heroes. And this is the story of a young artist who, um, when he was young, received very little uh, encouragement to pursue his craft. Uh, he uh, was fired from his first job as an illustrator with his boss saying that he lacked talent and imagination. I think we'd all agree that that's pretty damning. He quit school at 16 and tried to apply for the army and was rejected. He, uh, one day at his local church, his vicar asked if he'd do some little cartoons for their church uh, newspaper. And so he collected a few friends together and they formed a little production studio. Within a month, it was bankrupt. Uh, He tried with a second studio. So by the age of 20, he had been bankrupt twice. It's not looking great. 
He then launched again with a new character, a character called Oswald. And this time he had a bit of traction and he managed to get a distribution deal. And uh, only to find out that the distributor had stolen the rights for his lead character. So broke, he is sitting one day in his mouse-infested house. And over breakfast he sees a mouse run across his kitchen table and has the idea for a new character. He gets to work. And that character becomes known as Mickey Mouse. So Walt Disney uh, tried for two films um, with Mickey Mouse, and both were complete flops. Total non-starters. On his third film, it, it gained some traction. He had the first break, and so things were, you know, he was looking like he was back in the game. He then had the idea to do a full animation feature film. And so everyone connected to him at this point thought... This will finally be the thing that breaks him. This idea will be the one to truly ruin him. And so he borrowed bank loan after bank loan after bank loan to make this little animation cartoon film. And in the midst of the Great Depression, this film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, went on to make $1.5 million and won a staggering eight Oscars. Over the next five years, he just came out with banger after banger. You know, we're talking, we're talking Dumbo, Pinocchio, Fantasia, I think Jungle Book, Peter Pan. And obviously, we know the ending, right? That Walt Disney is one of the biggest influences, biggest names on the film and entertainment industry of all time. But how many opportunities did he have to give up? I believe that God is wanting to do immeasurably more in your lives. But you will walk through some pain. You will walk through some darkness. I love the ideas of Paddy, and I think there's something incredible on your life. What I love is this is idea one. Imagine what happens with idea 100. I pray that God blesses this idea. Are you willing to go there and be persistent? I believe there's more for you. So, just to quickly make it practical, I want to look at two encouragements um, to pursue perseverance and to uh, try and shape how we can see through the lens of faith. And these are really simply, one, embrace failure. Embrace failure. Brené Brown, a renowned shame expert, writes that the key to innovation is to fall, learn, get up, and do it again. Similarly, Walt Disney once said, all of my obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. If we want to be courageous, we're going to encounter failure. And that's okay. Sometimes a rejection from God or a no from God is not that. Actually, it can lead to a transformation, a change of thinking. And we have to remember and hold on to the upside-down nat- upside nature of God's kingdom. That sometimes it's when we're at our most broken, in the wilderness the most, that we're the closest to breakthrough. I've been thinking a lot about um, Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. And this moment that on the face of it, on a human level, is such failure. It is death. It is weakness. It is humiliation. But who would know that this would be the gateway to abundant 
human life in God. Who would know that this supposed end will be the catalyst to change the world? I also believe that it is often in failure that the seeds for future success are sown. So let's hold on to that. Embrace failure. You'll be fine. Two, create mechanisms to withstand pressure. So perseverance is hard. It's hard. If we look at the definition, persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. I mean, this sounds awful. I mean, difficulty or delay, we are simply no longer capable to handle these things anymore. If we look at that um, story with the, the West Point guys, these geniuses capable of anything yet brought to their knees by difficulty. We realize that to persevere is hard. So we need people to help us. We need to put things in place, mechanisms and for some of you, that might be having um, some friends that you can share your journey with, who can pray for you and encourage you as you go. For some of you, that might be rhythms of prayer. For some, that might be uh, looking after your body, whether that's rest or exercise. For some, that might be keeping an eye, eye out on how much you drink. I've personally found that in the waiting, the more I drink, the more I begin to feel suffocated. So we need to find people around us. When life gets dark and we find ourselves in the torturous tunnel of unanswered prayer, we will be tempted to crack. But in the words of Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. We have to find a way to keep going. And I want to close with one of my favorite stories of all time of one of my heroes. And this is a story about Johnny Cash. Any, any fans in the room? I feel there should be a few more. So if you've, if you've heard nothing today, go back on Spotify, listen to Johnny Cash. Um, so Johnny Cash, as some of you might know, not enough of you, but some of you might know, uh, was a man of deep faith, but also a man who had his own demons. And he had um, addictions to alcohol and medicated drugs. And so he found himself at a point in his career where um, he had really brought himself to like an end where his relationships with his family had, were in dire straits. His well-being was in a bad way. And he thought, the only solution for me is death. So he decided to uh, drive to some caves which were relatively near to his home in Nashville. And his plan was to walk through uh, these caves and keep walking. And then at the point of exhaustion, he would just lie down and wait to die. So he began to do this. He walked through the caves, and he noticed that the caves were getting narrower and narrower, so he couldn't walk anymore. He was crawling. He was crawling for hours into these caves, and he reached the point of exhaustion, and he lay down, and he waited for death. But as he waited, he was filled with a presence, and he began to feel not just a peace, but also a sense that his life was not his to end. And so he suddenly thought, I want to live, but was in that logistical difficulty in that he was stuck in a cave, unable to turn around, unable to reverse. 
So all he could do was keep crawling and crawling through. And in his autobiography, he writes that as he crawled, he had no idea whether he would reach an end. He had no idea, like he could just be crawling further into darkness. But hours went by, he crawled and crawled, and eventually he saw a chink of light. He headed towards it, and eventually he made his way out of the caves. And this is the bit that I love the most. As he walked out, he saw his wife, June Carter. And June had been praying that morning, and she'd felt God say, you need to get over to these caves, that you need to wait, because Johnny's going to turn up there, and he's going to need your help. And here's the bit that I love. That God cared enough about a broken, addicted, wrecked musician, that not only did he save his life, not only did he spare him in the cave and lead him out, but he made sure that someone that he loved was waiting for him when he got out so he wouldn't have to be alone. God is with you in the darkness. He is with you as you wait. He is with you when you pray. And he will lead you out of whatever tunnel you are in.